0: welcome back y'all on this episode of bonsai southeast we have a very special guest from the land down under josh from bonsai check out his podcast modern bonsai he also offers beginner courses on his website the
1: stick around check it out
0: This is a uh, bonsai southeast, and today we have a special guest. Uh, it's Josh with Bonsai Inn. Uh, you're not in Sydney. What's the name of the place that you're in in Australia right now?
1: So we're actually in Port Stephens. It's in New South Wales, in Australia.
0: Okay, so New South Wales. Yep. Okay. Uh, so I should not say Sydney necessarily. It's not even really part of that. I'm just just for we're general about, context.
1: Yeah, I mean for most people that's kind of the general area we're about three hours north of sydney mm-hmm. um so sydney's still in new south wales as well the the climates and everything are are fairly similar but yeah where where we are located we're like the holiday destination um you know we've got all the beaches and all that kind of stuff sydney yep. is like the the center of everything it's the town it's where all our arenas are like where all the, the football matches are played and if you know touring bands come over here they all they play sydney so
0: excellent uh y'all get some good music over there and stuff i mean pretty yeah
1: before COVID, we, we you know australia we're lucky that we're we're so far away from everything but yet we still get everything so you know we're lucky that bands want to come here you know we get all the big name artists that that tour here and you know we even get some of the other attractions such as like Nitro Circus comes here um you know so you know we're not really missing out on anything you know being halfway around the world.
0: Josh tell me about Bonesai Inn how it started uh what you guys are about kind of just give me a little gist of what y'all do.
1: Yeah, so going back quite a few years, I um, I used to actually be a computer technician and I owned a computer business and we used to um, build customized computer systems for businesses like uh, recording studios, um, people who edit videos, we did a lot of work for um, architects and things like that, um, just real specialty computer systems, but unfortunately due to lots of things happening like chip shortages around the world and you know just a lot of a lot of the bigger companies that are in that space in that market the margins for computer hardware were getting lower and lower like it got to a point where a thing like a processor the margin on a processor was like five percent hmm. and unless you're a really big big retailer that's just turning over hundreds of units a day, then 5%, you know, is really not gonna cut it. And, you know, you've heard this thing, you know, when you, when people take their, their computers to a computer repair person and they get taken for a ride, you know, because people don't know much about computers, you know, the reason a lot of computer technicians have to do that is because they're not making any money. You know, and I'm just, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just not the kind of person that can do that. So in the end, I just decided to, you know, get rid of that business and just thought this is not going to be a future. And There was a little bit of time in between where I wasn't doing much and around the same sort of time, um, you know, I got back into doing my martial arts full time. So, you know, I was at the dojo training and my sensei had – um a little bit of a bonsai collection and you know getting back into the the karate kid movies and stuff like that it was planting that seed again in my brain you know already knowing about bonsai but you know not really taking it seriously in that so just all this stuff was happening at once and then i just happened to be walking in one of our big box retailers one day and they had bonsai there for sale and i looked and i thought you know what Now's the time I'm gonna give that a go so I picked up one of those it was just a little juniper um, it was in a in a glazed pot of <clears throat> bought that took it home did everything wrong um, sat it on my bedside table stared at it in the house all the time you know gave it little drips and drabs of water here and there um, but luckily for me and I think this is the deciding factor where I just got really lucky, I guess. I bought that juniper in the winter time. So it was basically dormant anyway. Although we don't have a huge dormancy here in Australia, I think I had just bought it in that window where it gave me enough time to just be dumb enough to have it inside (laughs) on my bedside table and not have it be affected by that because of the dormancy period. And by the time it really got to the point where it was gonna matter, I'd already dug in, done some researching on, ooh, this is supposed to be outside, this is how it's supposed to be boarded, all this kind of stuff. So then, you know, I kind of flipped the script, put it outside and, you know, started from there. And then really like everybody else, it just became an addiction from there on out, you know, after that first Juniper, you know, doing some research looking into Bonsai more and then wanting a maple and then going and getting the maple and then wanting a pine, going and getting a pine and then wanting everything I can get my hands on (laughs) and just filling the backyard up full of trees. Um, You know, that kind of happened. And, you know, started going to workshops and, you know, just really digging in it. I'm the kind of person that when when I start something, you know, I dive in head first and, you know, really learn everything I can you know, about it, which is what I did with Bonsai, you know. I learned really, really quickly um, and then, you know, I was, I was still in that phase of, you know, what, what I'm going to do, you know, moving forward because I'm not, I'm not the type of person that really likes to work for other people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I get bored really quickly at a regular job, you know, and, it, you know, it's not that I like to be in control of everything. But I like to have that challenge. I like to, you know, have problem solving and all that kind of stuff. So that's where business is kind of a hobby for me as well, you know, as well as bonsai. So, you know, sitting there working on my trees and thinking, you know, what am I gonna do next? And then, you know, it just kind of clicked to me that in Australia, I was having a real problem with trying to find good quality tools and find good quality pots. and you know, wire and everything just all accessible, you know, in the one place. We did have bonsai shops, but everything was just, you know, so spread. If you wanted to buy wire, you had to go to this shop. And, you know, if you wanted to buy pots, you had to go here, you wanted to buy trees, you had to go here. And Mm -hmm. so that's when bonsai was born, you know, I started out by, you know, buying $500 worth of stock to begin with. And it was just, you know, like a pair of scissors, a pair of branch cutters, A couple of little pots and some wire and that was all i had and i put them up on a little web store and within a week that all sold and i was like oh okay so then i took all that profit and then you know bought like a thousand dollars worth of stuff and then it just kind of snowballed on from there you know so that's kind of i would say even though it's the long-winded version that's the short version of how bonsai (laughs) and kind of started
0: and uh and now because we talked previously on an uh earlier you recorded an episode where we talked on your podcast so we're just kind of referring to that that's probably going to come out a little bit before this one but uh, uh you guys should definitely check it out but i was uh remembering you're talking about uh doing instructional like you do like one-on-one uh lectures and lessons with people now uh kind of get around the covid thing where you guys do it over the computer uh just like we're doing here with the zoom meeting kind of type thing uh, is there other uh other things that you do for the community as far as bonsai out there in in australia
1: well where we are here um you know i'm kind of detached from everything and you know australia is such a big such a big place mm-hmm. um you know so to go from where i am to queensland further up north it's around a 16-hour drive just oh, wow. to get from here to queensland yeah and if i was to go to Melbourne. It's, uh, I don't know the exact number, but it's going to be more than 16 hours, a lot more. So, you know, at at this point in time, and especially with COVID and, you know, during the last two years is when Bonsai Ends really started to see more popularity and become more known, you know, to people, you know, getting the name out there and all that kind of stuff. Um, so in that time I haven't been able to actually travel and you know go to other bonsai clubs or meetings or workshops or anything like that so like as you said in the last two years everything's been online so I've been doing a lot of one-on-one zoom lectures with people um, and classes so you know and I find it's just better to sit down one-on-one with people and work on their trees and and most of the people that I work with are actually out of the states. Um, mm. You know that join in on the one-on-one Zoom sessions, and you know a lot of them are probably people who watch my YouTube channel. And you know, like the old saying goes, is you don't you don't really take advice from people unless you've seen their work and their trees. And I think you know the people who watch my YouTube channel really gravitate towards the way that I do things. So that's why they, you know, they book these one-on-one sessions um and then as you said too we're now launching or we've just launched our online learning platform which is called the bonsai dojo okay Um,
0: yeah i remember that
1: which yeah which we're really treating you know as such as a dojo it's a you know a place with disciplined learning um and it's not like oh you're doing that wrong don't do that like that it's What I mean, discipline is more in the fact of having curriculums and following curriculums and learning. You know, if if you're very fresh into bonsai and you start searching YouTube or, you know, you try and you got to try and put the pieces together yourself, even though the information's out there, you've got to try and put the pieces together yourself. Whereas if you learn off a curriculum, you learn in the order that you need to learn learn things. So our beginners course, we go over all the basics. So we start from the basics of bonsai tools and just go over the basic bonsai tools that are available and what they are and what the differences are. Um, and then we move on to, you know, the different types of trees that you might run into from seeds to seedlings and saplings to, you know, um, nursery stock to pre-bonsai to actual bonsai. And then go through all positioning, um, watering, fertilizing, wiring, all that basic stuff that people need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we've launched that. But my plan for the Bonsai Dojo is, and it's kind of been the plan from for Bonsai N from the beginning. I never planned for me personally to be the face of Bonsai N or be the person that was out there it just kind of happened you know when i started the modern bonsai podcast i started that to promote other people Mm. not myself you know i wanted to bring guests on and give them a platform to speak and to teach and to you know but somehow it just you know, people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I love your podcast. And and then when I started the YouTube channel, I tried to do the same thing where I tried to bring other people onto the channel to teach. But then it ended up being me that had to, you know, drive that ship forward and do the videos myself. And then I end up, you know, getting known through the YouTube channel. But with the Bonsai Dojo, I really want it to be me picking The people who I feel are the best in their field of certain things, whether that be the best pine growers Hmm. or the best, you know, the best people who do bonsai design or cultivation, whatever it may be, and get them to put a course together, film it for them, and then have it out there for the people to come to and, you know, purchase and be able to learn the Hmm. best of the best that's out there.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Um, Because I know there's a couple of other platforms out there that do a similar thing to that um, and they're starting to integrate uh, other other bonsai professionals I guess specialists with different species from the world uh, and so it's kind of following suit with that too uh, and from the sounds of it it sounds like you guys have a, a growing interest in bonsai out there um, definitely and when you say it from outside the states um, you are, part, are parts of Australia considered the states like we call it here the states and i'm just kind of just that
1: loose terminology i noticed you said that uh, well when i refer to the states i mean america
0: oh well so. yeah okay because the way you had said it i thought you were referring to as in you referring to australia as the states that's just me kind of going back on that a little bit
1: yeah yeah here in australia when we refer to america a lot of the times we just call it the states you know rather than okay. saying united states of america or yeah. usa or however you want to say it we just say in the states
0: yeah I was, I was wondering, cause I, I was like, there's gotta be other places that call it that, but I guess we're the only ones, but yeah. So you get a lot of people, uh, from the States call you and, uh, well not call you, but go and like do your one-on-one personals and then obviously refer back to your YouTube channel stuff. That's, that's pretty good reach, I would say. Um, so how you doing on your uh, YouTube channel? You got lots of subscribers and you got plenty of video content up there.
1: Yeah, well, we're um, we're coming up on ten thousand subscribers now. You know, it's a relatively new bonsai channel, um, so we've been we've been doing pretty well with it. I, I've got the advantage of you know having a lot of good equipment um, and being able to produce high quality content for the YouTube channel. You know, and we we put a lot of a lot of really good free content out there, but YouTube's not one of those things that. You know for somebody that's somebody that's as busy as i am or you are um you know it's hard to find the time to put full full full-fledged content out there so that's why we've kind of got the the learning platform as well because at least that way um you know it's kind of an income and a revenue for us to somewhat do that as a living um but the youtube i mean yeah it's got um a really good following there as i said close to ten thousand people now that's
0: that's excellent for just starting out obviously that's come from a couple of other uh, facets of uh, social media platforms kind of helping you get that youtube channel up and going pretty quick there um but yeah the uh the whole thing with the podcast like we had mentioned in the previous episode doing this also has really helped us reach out to other professionals um i know you've had a couple of uh other excellent guests on your channel um, and um, thank you for reaching out and uh, asking me to be on your, um, one of your episodes previously, that was pretty awesome of you. Um, but I mean, what's, what's the future look like for, you know, like your, your uh, podcast overall? You're going to continue to, to uh, keep interviewing guests or are you going to try to do something a little bit different, just, just to kind of pick in your brain about how, what direction you're going here with uh, just everything.
1: Well, there's, there's lots of other guests out there that I'd love to have on the podcast. And as I said, when, when I first started the podcast, the, the whole idea of it was is to bring other people on and be able to have people who are learning bonsai be able to listen to those people and, you know, get information and be able to learn, you know, from bonsai artists around the world, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are quite a few other guests that i still want to get on on the podcast um it has slowed down a little bit the more the more the business side of things takes off with like our online store and the nursery and everything everything else kind of slows down a little bit you know like the youtube channel and the podcast because you know you just get so busy with everything um you know with our online store we import all our own stuff from Japan now so you know everything we do there takes up a lot of time and then obviously making sure everything's running smoothly all the orders are going out we're restocking items back on you know back in time so you know people aren't missing out on things that kind of slows everything down but I have thought about doing you know trying to do a weekly show with the podcast Mm -hmm. and maybe finding maybe finding somebody that I can co-host with, you know, um, that way I've got a guest every week per se, even though they'd be a co-host, you know, and and it's just finding people who have the time to do that as well. So that's something that may be on the cards in the future is having a weekly, weekly show, whether it's something that's shorter and then we just pick a topic every week and, you know, bounce ideas off each other and go back and forth um, kind of thing. But I guess, you know, we'll see what the future brings after COVID finishes and we can get back to a bit of normality and, you know, just see, you know, we're yet to reopen our nursery here to the public. So I guess we'll see how that takes off. You know, that may take up a lot of my time once that happens. But, you know, we'll just see how that all goes.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit of a juggling act having full nursery and trying to keep up with things like this with the podcast and doing videos and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I I, I do hope that your your nursery re I mean I guess you would call it like a reopening of it uh, works yeah. out very very well for you. Um, so the uh, the general like the overall like. Feel of of Australian bonsai. Can you? Is there a way you can kind of describe it for uh, people out there who are not very familiar with what what kind of trees y'all normally deal with? Um, I know we've talked about y'all use some uh, select species, uh, some stuff that you would expect versus some other things. So, kind of give us an idea of what y'all use out there.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, at the moment in Australia, there's there's those that are working with what we call the exotic species here. So that's like your black pines. Um, some parts of Australia can have white pines, but we're, we're pretty warm here. So white pines and mugo pine are really for the, the higher mountainous regions. Um, but then, you know, you've got your other things like your Chinese elms um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's those other people in Australia that are, are working with natives, but at the moment with the Australian natives, We're kind of, um, I guess you could say, still learning. Um, We've been working with natives since the early 80s here, but as you know, there's years and years and years and years of work that goes into, you know, finding the best way to cultivate those species. And not only that, if you go from one state to another here in Australia, the the environments can change so dramatically that, you know, the the care of those trees has to change just as dramatically. So, you know, there's still a lot of learning going on here in Australia when it comes to our, um, Australian native species.
0: So, yeah, uh, you mentioned about natives and stuff like that. I remember we were talking, um, in the previous, episode about liquid amber and uh you messed me back and you were like oh wait i do have liquid amber here so we do share a couple of of natives uh in common here um did you find out what kind of liquid amber that is uh like the the full latin name of that particular species you all have
1: no it's you know as i said when i messaged back it's not something that we work with a ton here mm-hmm. um so we just know it as a sweet gum here just a liquid amber um, and as I said, most of the time here, you see them in people's yards, just growing as big, you know, big trees. Um, but I think I have like two in the nursery right now and that's it. Um, we, we, we mostly have just like, you know, regular um, Japanese maple in your trident maple.
0: This episode of Bonsai Southeast was brought to you by Underhill Bonsai, Louisiana's premier bonsai nursery. We have everything
1: you need, including bonsai soil bonsai tools imported pottery, handmade pottery, fertilizer affordable yamadori stuff, pre bonsai finished bonsai and a lot lot more check us out
0: at www.underhillbonsai.com take a peek at our facebook page underhill bonsai let's jump back into it so yeah ov- overall i find uh liquid amber to be amazing species um as far as the uh i mean they're not a maple but it's similar to the, the way a maple can grow and be presented yep. and i think and in my personal opinion, the the fall color is way way better on uh, on liquid amber. Uh, and are y'all y'all experience a fall color on those trees? I I know we might have mentioned it before, but for the sake of this conversation,
1: yeah, yeah. And you know, like you said, they do act very much like a maple. And for uh, for ages, when I first got into bonsai, I always thought they were a maple, and it's got my head all messed up on that species now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, maybe in the future I'll, you know, start working with them a little bit more and, and try them out. Um, we, we did, we used to live next door to somebody who had a massive one in their, in their backyard and we were gonna start taking cuttings off it and, you know, seeing how they were going and, you know, playing with them a little bit more, but we ended up moving away from that area. So at that point, I just didn't worry about, you know, getting too much further into the liquid embers. Um, but yeah as I said if you want something that's got that maple appearance we usually just go for you know Japanese maple here or trident maple
0: cool uh do you have any any preferences in the uh the type of tools and pottery that you carry over there in the shop you said you get a lot of your stuff imported kind of made me start thinking about uh what what do y'all usually see uh over there as far as Y'all, I mean, that would be a great question too, is like, y'all have any potters in Australia that you actually look to as well?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll start with the tools first and then we'll move on to the potters. Um, so when it comes to the tools, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in like the, the proper Japanese tools. And the reason for that is, and it's funny because there's this weird mindset out there that, If somebody says that they like Japanese tools, they only say that they like Japanese tools because Bonsai is considered a Japanese art, but what people don't understand is around the world any, anything that has an edge on it, whether it be scissors or chef's knives or katanas, edged weapons, all that kind of stuff, it's all well, all the good stuff anyway. I mean, obviously you can buy crappy knockoff stuff, but all the actual good stuff is made from Japanese steel. And mm. there's, there's good reason for that because Japanese steel is some of the hardest you know steel in the world and it just holds an edge and a really sharp edge at that for a long time you know it's just quality steel and obviously if you buy bonsai tools from a maker in japan they're going to support their own industry by buying japanese steel so it's one of these things there's a lot of you know bonsai tool makers out there that claim to use japanese steel or you know japanese techniques and you know i won't name any of them other brands but You know i've had big name brands in bonsai tools and started using their tools and they've just been absolute garbage like the steel has bent and gone blunt and Hmm. and you just look at it and go yeah this is just crap and you know they claim to use all these different steels and and you can just tell it's not and then you get actual japanese tools like masakuni or kikua or you know those types of brands and they are made from actual japanese steel and the edge on them is so sharp and you know you find people that have got Kikula tool sets from 30 years ago and they're still using them you right. know so it just it just shows you the longevity of those tools so when it comes to the tools that we we prefer to stock here at Pomsam we prefer to stock that stuff because you know you can for example we've got a standard, standard set of Kikula scissors here that we sell for like $35, right? And those scissors will last somebody, you know, a lifetime if they look after them properly. You know, obviously don't drop them on the tips, keep them oiled, Mm -hmm. you know, don't cut branches that are too big for them, all those types of things. They'll pay $35 once for those scissors and they'll be able to keep them for a lifetime. Whereas you sell them a set of cheap, crappy scissors, they're gonna buy them same set of scissors you know 10 20 times over so Mm -hmm. you know you're better off just getting people the good quality stuff straight up um and going down that route so when it comes to the stuff we keep here like i mentioned we import it all from japan just because it's good quality the customers are going to be happy every single time you know we we never have a customer come back and say you sold us crap ever it's not once ever happened so we're going to continue down that path um and then when it comes to the the pots you're starting out here at bonsai we we did have a lot of the stuff from china just the the cheapy like yixing type pots um and i've just found that over the last last year or so it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse the quality is just getting just something that i don't want to sell so we're we're looking now to run that stuff out of our store and also import pots in from japan um little mame pots and you know glazed pots um pots all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff but we're really lucky here in australia that we have a lot of good potters as well so um one of my favorites is brendan norton from bad swan ceramics over in western australia um he does a lot of course cool, actually i've got something sitting right here in front of me he sent me a gift and i don't know how well you can see this oh actually, yeah i'll bring it back
0: oh yeah it's in focus there it's like a little skull kind of figure on the front there uh yeah what's it circled with what is that around the embellished
1: with there? So, it's got um, two ship's anchors. Ah, so, nice. so he actually said that this was um, like an old sailor's tattoo. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like old and school his, tattooing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, it's got like the really rough edges all around it, like all the, the broken off edges. And yeah, he just makes some like super high quality stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And he sent me that little pot as a gift. So that was very nice of him. Um, I recently purchased a pot off him and i loved it because it had this triangle on the front of it and it re- just reminded me of pink floyd's um dark side of the moon mm-hmm. album cover oh yeah so um and then we've got um tracy francis at Marambung studio ceramics um she does a lot of good work um james tranter at semarkand pottery um and then we've got luke parsons um at adelaide um i think he calls himself uh adelaide bonsai pottery or something like that um so yeah we've got a lot of good potters here in australia um and a lot of good people up and coming as well you know that the pottery seems to be taking off just as much as the bonsai is which is you know Mm -hmm. fantastic for us here in australia um and I'm hoping, and it'll be the first time that people hear it here on this podcast, that in the works right now, I've got somebody who's going to be doing some stand work for me very soon, Mm. Um, making bonsai stands, because that's something we don't have. I don't think we have any of that here in Australia. And Mm. I just so happen to be that lucky that this new nursery that we've got here um right next door is a woodworking shop and you know the the guy from over there his name's James and um he's come over a few times and had a look at you know some of the stuff that we've got over here and he showed me some of his woodworking stuff and I was like oh you know, you wouldn't be interested in making bonsai stands, would you? And I showed him some of these bonsai stands. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to make some of that That's stuff. Nice. So hopefully <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be collaborating soon to make some, you know, um, bonsai stands. Um, hopefully going to have some here for people to hire for shows, but also um, taking some custom orders for people to make some stuff that suit their pots and their trees and what they're trying to achieve in terms of showing?
0: I cannot begin to express how important that is for a bonsai community to really grow. Because um, I'm, I've seen a couple of pictures of uh, examples of bonsai shows in Australia's. Uh, you know, like Australia as far, as far as going, like I can't remember what the name of the club is, but I know there was a club show that was posted uh, not too long ago. Um, had a nice little gallery of all the trees there, and one of that one of the things I noticed it was lacking was high quality stands, um, yeah. and just you know going to going to the national show this year in Rochester, New York, and seeing all of the trees on their their respective stands, that's that's where you can start practicing. In my personal opinion, you start practicing bonsai on a much higher level. So not only are you not only are you are you developing the tree, and then you find your pot. and And for me, I don't know if this is for you. I I feel that the tree chooses the pot. You don't choose the. You don't go out and get the pot and force the tree into it. Uh, it's better yeah. to have like a whole collection of pottery. You know that. So. Yeah. Uh, and then and then the stand comes in, and the stand is so important to the show. And a lot of not a lot of people think about that, and uh, and it's not it's not invested in as much as I think that I've seen a lot of other people do it, or especially here, uh, Louisiana, we don't have any formal shows outside of the clubs. Um, so we don't have any like regional shows or anything. Texas is the only, uh, the only place that we have a actual convention, uh, regional style show, um, that type of thing. And so, uh, you have a, you have a potential stand maker. That's really awesome. And, uh, I got lucky, uh, and the fact that, uh, that my grandfather, it's not lucky. He's just been doing this. My grandfather is formerly, uh, a cabinet builder. So he's a professional, just craftsman, you know, woodworker. And he just decided he was going to make some stands for me. And it's, you know, just knowing that you can, you have those type of things in your shop so that not only that, can they get the quality tree that they want, they can also get the pot and the stand. Uh, and I'm sure you guys also work with, uh, with, like, some accenting plants and stuff, too. Uh, yeah. So and uh, and that's just uh, so integral to a Bonsai community growing uh, because the formal display is something that I talk to. Uh, I talk with a lot uh, with other uh, Bonsai people. Is just that's what we're doing this for. We're always striving towards that overall feeling and image for that one that one moment where we take a picture. And then after that it changes again you know yeah so and,
1: and it's true in what you say you know when the stands the hardest thing because like you say when we have a tree we cho- we choose the pot to go with the tree not the other way around so you know when we're choosing a pot we look at the tree is it masculine or is it feminine you know what what color is the bark what color is the foliage what are we trying to accent you know with the pot to the tree and you know we make our decisions. You know like that to to match our pot up to our tree and then when it comes to putting a stand now you're trying to match the stand of the pot to the tree to the display to the accent plant so there's so much more going on when you're trying to you know you might have you might have your tree and your kusumono and then you've got your jita sitting underneath your kusamono, mm-hmm. and then you've got to try and have a stand that somehow fits into this whole arrangement of, you know, because if you if you've got, say, you've got a rectangle jita sitting underneath your kusamono, you don't want a rectangle stand, especially if you've got a rectangle pot, or you know. So having a limited amount of stands available makes it so much harder to get the right stand for your tree, your pot, your kusamono, your jita, and have it fit in. That's why I think they're having basically a custom stand maker at Bonsai N, where people can call up or email in and say, hey, look, I've got this tree in this pot with this accent. I need a stand that is this high by this wide, by this tone of color, by this shape. Yeah, no problems. We can make that. And then that person can have their perfect or closest to perfect display. Mm-hmm. Because it's just when it comes to stands, it is almost impossible to get the correct stand. Oh
0: yeah, and there's so many parameters about bone size stands that that people don't even consider. Like uh, especially going into it, like uh, for, for if you're going to do a big show, like whenever I was prepping my my uh, winged elm tree for the show, it's just like okay, so I need a stand, and so I'm trying to explain to my grandfather who. He can make anything, Like I, tr- I trust that he could make anything as far as that goes, he, he's he been making pretty much furniture his whole life, so he can make a table, like a short table, and it's just like, there's things that I didn't know I, that I, need to consi- I needed to consider until I got into those fine decal- details, because there's a bevel on the inside of that stand's top that the tree has to yeah. fit inside of. And in old school style stands that that's a floating piece normally in case it gets scratched or water. Uh, but uh, you know that's not so necessary because uh, I mean now these stands are a little bit more accessible. The wood the, the wood quality, the type of lacquer we may use uh, is a little bit more resistance to that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, that, those details of like getting that in, the interior, uh, section of the bevel, right? Getting the tree to fit in there. Also, going on based on how big is the canopy, or how tall is the tree, and how tall is the table that you're displaying on. That's yep. just more. There's so much. There's so many layers to it. And then what's screwy is that some specimen trees, you'll get lucky that you'll find that perfect pot and tree married type yep. type ordeal, and it's like that tree is going to be in that pot for a very long time. So. I'm gonna get this stand made for this for this setup, but then one day you turn the tree you turn the tree 180 and you're like, oh man, it's got a different front. Now I got to get it for a different pot. Now I got a different stand. It's just that's what I mean. It's like it's always like this whole thing that people don't really consider about with stands. But yeah, that's excellent to hear that you guys will have access to that. Um, and I hope it works out really well because quality stand makers, like you're saying, are just far in between because there's plenty of bonsai people. There's even less bonsai potters that are super specialized in bonsai pottery that actually know the function. And then you got like a fraction, even fraction less of bonsai stand makers. It's just, you know, it just kind of trickles down from there, you know?
1: Yeah. 100%. So,
0: but I mean, as far as, uh, as far as shows and stuff, I mean, do you guys have a, I mean, are are shows really happening at this time in Australia?
1: yeah so shows up until this point um they're they're pretty small they're just club shows basically so you know the members of the club will all display their trees and then open up to the public and people of the public can come in they may have some vendors there selling you know some small trees or bonsai tools or whatever it may be Um, but in australia we don't really yet have that big show, you know, we don't have that big show where everybody flocks from all parts of Australia to come and see, you know, not like you guys have over there in America with the national show, Um, but, you know, not that people aren't really trying, um, but I think it's just something that's going to have to, you know, evolve over the next few years and it's going to have to be something that's consistent. and something that's on every year and super high quality every year to get people to travel. Cause as I said, Australia is a big place. Mm. Um, you know, we're hours and hours away from anywhere. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's gotta be a really, really high quality show with the highest quality trees around Australia. Um, we do have, not that it's a show, but we do have our Arboretum down in Canberra. And that's probably where our highest quality trees live. Oh, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've got some good people down there that look after the trees and take care of them. And, um, you know, it, it's also good because people who aren't into bonsai that may be down there, you know, on holidays or, you know, finding something to do, they visit the arboretum and they, they see bonsai for the first time. And, you know, their first time seeing bonsai is seeing real bonsai. Yes. so yeah you know i think that's important as well so in australia you know our whole bonsai journey is just beginning mm. um i mean it's funny saying that seen as though that we've had bonsai here since god probably the 50s but you know like everything in bonsai it takes a long time to you know really get that that steam up and get moving and um but you know with the internet now and podcasts and youtube channels and all that kind of stuff i think everything's going to start moving a lot quicker from this point on Mm -hmm. you know i think the growth of bonsai from the 50s till now you know was quite slow but i think from now over the next 10 years we're going to see more growth in that 10 years than we did you know that that whole time
0: oh yeah and i didn't know that uh that you guys had a an arboretum over there with a with the collection. Uh, that's, yep. that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. We have a, uh, a couple of arboretums here. You probably know of, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the one in, in DC, uh, the national yep. collection here, of course it's got John Naka stuff in it, which is, you know, that's a, amazing that we have access in that. We have those trees in those, in those collections like that. Um, and, I mean, that's like you said, like some people seeing their first, their first tree, like a quality tree. And uh, like I've mentioned before, like when I first got into bonsai, like I was, I felt like I was just meddling in, in just an art form or just even like a potted plant type just ordeal where I was like, okay, this is obviously uh, completely just, you know, this tree's in this pot and I don't. I don't really get how the magic the behind the, how, how things work behind the magic of how these little trees work. But when you see that first tree, that's all it takes is seeing that first tree. And you're like, there's so much more to this. And I guess that kind of helps drive a little bit more of uh, foot traffic for your store as well. Uh, I am guess yeah. somebody will be like, oh, I just went down to the Arboretum, you know, it's the craziest thing. And it's like, oh, you sell bonsai. So (laughs) uh, we can can do business. So that's always good to, uh, it's always good to have high quality collections. Um, What was the name of that Alboretum again?
1: Uh, Um, It's just the um, National Bonsai and Penjing collection. Oh,
0: awesome. Uh, Any notable artists in there Uh, or uh, figures from the past of Penjing and Bonsai?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to Australian Bonsai, you know, we don't... Because it, because it's young, I mean, the the people who have trees in there have some absolutely fantastic trees in there. Mm. But if I was to start, you know, mentioning names, you would have no idea who I'm talking about. Because here in Australia, we... And it's not that they don't do good work. It's because we just don't... We haven't had the exposure to the rest of the world. To this point, you know, in my case, again, which is why I was starting podcasts and the YouTube channel to try and showcase these people um, and get, yeah, get their work out there and get them a name, get them known. So mm-hmm. that way if people do say, oh, we've got this, this or this person in our national collection. People go, oh, yes, I've seen that person's work. They do fantastic work. So, you know. Half the challenge is now is just trying to get those people out there and get them known. You know, that way, you know, people can um, really start to appreciate them and appreciate their work. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's really it's difficult to to explain to people what what bonsai is without seeing the trees, like we'd seen said before, and then even going down that rabbit hole of of exploring different options for, you know, they have people come in here all the time. It's like, they pick up a Juniper and they say, well, what style do I make this in? And how do you even begin to tell somebody, you know? <laughs> you know, oh, there's a whole world of bone size styles and even cultural styles from, uh, uh, there's a book that someone gave me, it's called "Bone Size Styles of the World, literally. Um, and I can't remember the author's name at the moment, but amazing because Charles... It's on the shelf over there. Um, but his name's... We'll get in a second. But uh, it's. I think there might even be some Australian uh, influences in that book as well. And I can't even begin to explain or... Oh, Charles Saronio. Charles uh, That's the author of uh, Bonsai Styles of the World. Uh, can't even begin to tell people how to style a tree, you know? And so it's a, like being... Being in the world of and being a teacher like yourself, uh, I mean, how how would you tell a beginner who is picking up their first juniper for their first time? Like, how would you start that, that conversation or lesson? That's kind of, that's always been a challenge for me too.
1: Well, I usually try to fall back on the guidelines and the basic styles that we we know so the five basic styles of bonsai being formal upright informal upright slanting semi-cascade and cascade and we can pretty much derive most of our styles from those five styles and the way we determine good material for those styles there's lots of little things within those styles that we look for so if you know if we if we had a a tree for example that had really long roots on one side of the tree but on the other side they had really short compressed roots, well then we might look at that and say well this tree is a really good candidate for a slanting style tree, a semi-cascade tree or a cascade tree because it's got those roots where on one side it looks like it's hanging on and on the other side it's really compressed so that's one thing that might tell us okay well we've got something that could fit one of those three styles so straight away we've eliminated formal upright and informal upright. And then the next thing that we might look at is the branching that the tree currently has, depending on where it is in its journey, whether it's pre-bonsai material or it's actually a bonsai, you might look at it and go, well, that needs an angle change. Um, So if it's got, if we were gonna look, say, for a cascade tree, for example, we would be looking for a really sharp bend in the first branch. Mm -hmm. okay and if if it doesn't have that first sharp bend then we go well maybe it won't suit a cascade so now we've eliminated that so now we're left with slanting and semi cascade. so now we look again at the characteristics of the tree and we say okay well maybe all our branching is more to one side or we've got compressed branching on one side and elongated on the other so that might be more or less leaning towards the slanting side um and then you know other characteristics too so if you've got a tree that's got a really straight up and down trunk or straight away you might go well okay well that really calls out for a formal upright style tree um you know so that's where i try to take beginners i try to teach them these basic bits of knowledge and you know once again those five styles of bonsai are in our beginners course that we we sell and we go over all that stuff so you know what are the root characteristics of all the different styles what and the branch characteristics and then if if the beginners can learn all those little tidbits well then they sit down in front of a piece of material and that material literally speaks to them and says this is the style that best suits me mm-hmm. um whether that be, you know, because of the roots, the bark characteristics, the branches, um, or even a special feature on the tree. And, you know, when you talk about choosing a front, you know, once again, that comes down to you, sit down and you look at the tree. And the first thing you look for is, where's my wider space? Mm-hmm. And you find the wider space. And then the next thing you look for is, where is my most interesting line on the tree? And then you look for any special features the tree might have, like an uro, so like a, an opening in the front of the tree, mm. um, like a hollow. So if you've got a hollow on the tree, that might be your best option to have that facing the front even though it's not your widest widest base or your most interesting line. So once you find all those little things, now you can sit there and say, okay, well, let's take these things that I've found and let's find the best of All of them so you might turn the tree and say well if I turn the tree slightly this way I'm losing a little bit of my wide base but I'm gaining a lot more interest in the movement in the tree or I'm starting to see that special feature so I think being able to teach beginners what to look for in material is going to help them so much more in their design work rather than them just sitting down i think i think that's where beginners get stuck they don't know any of this stuff and then they sit down with the tree in front of them and they look at it and it's big and bushy and it's unworked and you know there's branches everywhere and there's foliages foliage everywhere and they just go now what yeah. <laughs> you know rather than being actually up sit there and calculate okay well that branch can go there change the angle, turn it, this is gonna be the front, this is how we decide the front, this is how we decide the style, and then build from there.
0: Yeah. And it's, once they grasp the concepts of the beginning techniques of form, like basic form, like you said, cascade all the way up to your formal upright, kind of reminds me of, kind of had this image in my head of John Naka's um, uh, illustration where he has the mountainside. You ever seen this image? and the mountain comes yeah. down, and then at the bottom, you have your formal upright tree, but it goes up the slope. You, like you said, it goes more slant, more slant, and then cascade. Uh, it's a really yeah. beautiful illustration of that. And then once they get past that stage, uh, something that that I always get overexcited about with telling people about is also naturalistic forms. So things that, that certain species will do that other species don't do, and... And how to actually make that feel authentic? How to make that feel natural? Um, and that that in itself takes and takes it to that next level of bonsai. Uh, I mean, and one thing I was thinking about too is like whenever you sh- whenever you're looking at that beginner's tree, uh, have you ever? I mean, this is something I've seen a couple of people do. Have you ever told some, uh, somebody where they're looking at their t- their tree and it's like really really tall and you know that it's capable of taking this type of uh, take a type of work? You say. Well, you can just chop it to a stump and just start from there. Cause I promise you that stump is going to be better. It's going to be a better tree in the long run. And it's just like that, that thought of, of telling a beginner, go from your, all that real estate, all that tree you have up there and whacking it down for that taper. You know, it's, it's very hard to explain to beginners all the forms and then tell them to whack their tree flat, you know? Yep. No.
1: Well, I mean, I, I've had customers come in here. <clears throat> you know, I had a customer come in one time that had just bought a ficus and it was something that had been grown more for a garden tree. So it was very straight up. All the all the foliage was right up around the top of the tree. Um, and they were trying to choose a pot for this tree. And, I, you know, the pots that they were choosing, they were just trying to choose a big pot for it just because they wanted a big bonsai you know and you know i said to myself, said look you got to step back for a minute and just forget about forget about big bonsai for a minute and just remember that not all big bonsai are beautiful you know you can get small trees that are just as beautiful that have just as much work in them so, you know, it doesn't matter how tall your tree is and how much foliage it's got on it and how big the pot that you put it in that all that's probably going to make the tree worse. And, you know, I tried to say to this person, look, you've got this this ficus and it's only got a base that sits around. So you want a pot that's only just a little bit bigger than the base itself. And I said, "But you don't want this really tall tree because then it's going to look silly." I said, "So what you need to do first is chop the tree right down. It's a ficus; it can take it. It'll come back just as hard." I said, and "Then you need to start the tree again, grow a new leader, get some taper happening, um, you know, work on the root base. Then we can put it in a smaller pot, and um, from there we can start building some branching, and you're going to have a much much nicer tree." And Look, I said to this customer, I said, Look, I'm trying to talk you out of buying a really expensive pot right now and selling you a cheaper pot, a smaller pot. Yeah. I said, that's that's got to be telling you something. If the owner of a business right now is trying to get you to spend less money, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get you to create a higher quality tree. Um, so that is something that, you know, I run into, you know, quite a lot trying to convince beginners that, you know, the work needs to be done. We need to cut you know, big branches off trees. Um, You know, I I had another client that uh, called me out to his collection um, to go and look at his trees and suggest some work for him to do on his trees. And none of that work ever got done. um, Mm. Because the the client just didn't like hearing the work that had to be done. So he had a, one of the trees was like a, a twin trunk ficus and it had a lot of branching in between the two trunks just kind of clashing and you know i was saying to him look you need a bit of negative space in between those two trunks like in the middle so you got to try and cut all those branches out there and he developed those branches and wired them all out and Mm. i said but look at the at the end of the day when the tree leaves out And even when it's in silhouette, it just doesn't look good with those branches clashing in the middle. You need to get rid of them and focus on the outsides of, you know, if you're going to have that twin trunk design. And then the other tree that he had was a a Cascade Juniper, but the tail had never been trained. So the tail sat right under the the apex and just went straight down and had pads coming off a straight tail. And I said, look, all your pads down the bottom are dying because they're getting shaded out by what's on top. I said, when we design a cascade tree, not only do we need to keep design and aesthetics in mind, but we need to keep photosynthetic efficiency in mind when it comes to cascade. We need to design the tail in such a way that as it descends from the tree, it also moves away and each pad moves out into sunlight otherwise you're going to get this effect where as the tail drops it's going to begin to die so you know all that kind of stuff you know trying to explain it to beginners it's Mm. it's scary for them you know they 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 don't want to hear that they've just spent this money on a tree and now they've got to chop half of it off (laughs)
0: yeah uh and i mean spending money on on quality material versus something like you said like basically taking that uh that ficus and putting it in a bigger pot. I mean, it's just buying a bigger pot for a bigger houseplant. That's just kind yeah. of what it's going to look like. And uh, and and I and I come to these points when I have somebody come in and they've never they've never really seen bonsai like they've never put their hands on one like before and first thing they want to do is they want to buy that that juniper that has that bigger price tag on it and it has that look to it, and has that image and And I, uh, I'm like, by the way, you got to keep this, uh, you gotta keep this outside and they're like, oh man, that's, that's not, Hey, he's like, they're like, okay, well I can make a spot on my porch for it then. I'm like, okay, well, it, it may need a lot of light. You may need a lot of water. You may need this and that. And it starts getting a little bit more complicated. And I'm like, you know, you would be a lot better off if you spent a fraction of that money on a smaller tree or even if you wanted to go big and I always try to tell this to beginners they're always like what is your best advice for getting into this like buy as many plants as possible just get a bunch of little ones and just go at it just you know like trim them back bring them to the brink of destruction put wire on them bend them see how they you know like I've I've told somebody one time I was like they were like I'm trying to learn how to wire I want to wire like you do I want to wire every single bit of the tree I want to get the bends I'm like then then wire branch and break it so that, you know, so, you know, where that, that, that threshold is because yeah. I've always compared wiring to throwing pottery. Pottery is all about finesse. It's all about, you know, you, if you push on the clay, if you're pulling the clay up and you push too hard, you blow straight through the clay. Cause it's soft. It's very malleable. Yeah. Same exact thing with a tree, you know? So those kind of things getting across to people, to people who have never, touch the tree it's like you said with with the ficus it's just they think it's so big and so inflated to what we should expect from bonsai when some of my favorite trees uh i can think of a handful of trees that are, i've gone out into my into the into the garden and just collected, pulled out of the ground basically free you know and then yeah. all i needed was the fancy pot and the know-how to bring it to that level what i was imagining so that's that's yeah. all that's well, all
1: well, I just had um, John Eastman on my podcast from here in Australia. He owns the Australian Bonsai Gallery. And we, we were talking about how there's this super fine line between trying to teach beginners proper bonsai straight out of the gate, but not be an asshole about it, you know. It's, <laughs> it, it's this super fine line of like you want to teach them straight up the proper techniques and the proper mindset about bonsai. But -hmm. you don't want to take away their innocence and their enjoyment and their drive and everything like that. So it's like, where do you find that middle ground of sitting a beginner down and saying, you know, especially like you see it all the time on Facebook when people buy the little bonsai trees, tiny little tree in a tiny little pot. And the first thing they say is, how should I wire this or how should I trim it? And the, the first thing you wanna to say to them is like, well, you don't wanna wire it and you don't wanna trim it because what you've got there isn't really bonsai. You've got somewhat of a, a, a foot in the door But if you take that little tree out of that little bonsai pot and put it in a growing container, let it grow for a couple of years, let it get some maturity and character about it, let it get some branching, then we can come back in, we might be able to start wiring the trunk, get some shape, let it grow a bit more, and then we can start trimming some branches back, getting some, you know, the start of what might be a bit of branch development and you know trying to explain it in the softest way possible without saying you know yeah you don't want to be trimming or wiring you know because what you've got there can't handle bonsai work if you if you trim that tree it's going to get weaker than it already is if you wire that tree you're just going to make it look awful because there's nothing to wire there's no branches to set there's no Mm. There's not too much you can do with that material.
0: And you've taken that that image of their first bonsai tree and you've flipped it you've basically just flipped it on them and uh and just basically like they have the the tree they want now and you're telling them the tree you really want or what you should be thinking about this is years from now and that's always one of the hardest things to explain. Like uh, And just selling somebody like I'm looking at like a stump with a few branches coming out of it. And I'm like, man, I'm so excited for this tree, but you know, it's going to be that tree in 10 years. (laughs) It's like that, that whole thing is, is, is another part of the whole process of the, I guess. And I, we can be cheesy and call it the journey, the bonsai journey, you know, like from, uh, from mall's eye to something presentable and i've seen a couple of great articles on people who take eye, You're on becoming eye do the proper thing like you've said and bring it to that next level i mean there's all there's a possibility there's flexibility in every piece of material that you can get out there and even the most unexpected pieces of raw plant material could be great trees with time obviously you know so yeah.
1: Uh, well, I've done it myself. My my first juniper that I told you about, it's actually still alive. I've still got it. Oh, yeah. Um, in the first couple of years, it was really, it was, I mean, if I, if I had treated it the way I should have treated it from the day I had it, I would have already had a big, massive, beautiful juniper by now. But the first couple of years with that tree was mistakes and learning and whatnot, and then I got to a point where I was like, "Oh, I understand what I do with this tree now." And I put it in a growing container, and I grew it. It's still in a growing container to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's, you know, it's getting thicker, and it's getting that that bark that's starting to break apart because the trunk's stretching and it's starting to get that plated bark on it. And mm-hmm. you know, I've developed out a really nice first branch now, and all the shape in the tree, and it's got branching and it's got pads and it's really full now and it's, you know, and I'll probably keep developing that tree for a long, long time yet. You know, you know, I think I've mentioned it once before in a podcast that I'll probably be 80 before I put that tree in a bonsai pot because I'm just going to want to keep, you know, it's my first tree. I just want to keep growing it and growing Keeping it and it see better. how far that tree is going to go, you know? And that's, but,
0: you know, what? Oh, I was just yeah, going to s- I was going to say, uh, you, the fact that you even have your first tree still, is it's something of a rarity, you know, uh, because yeah. a lot, a lot of people, like you said, make that, make those mistakes and go in, and unfortunately lose their first trees. And uh, I can think of a few other, other first trees that somebody had and gone pursued, uh, being a bonsai professional, and then they show that tree now. Like you said, and it, you, you want to keep working on that tree, and working on that tree, and that tree is going to be one of the more on Earth, unorthodox type designed bonsai that's going to really reflect like what what you've experienced along the whole way of your of learning throughout your life on this tree too. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the hopes for every bonsai that is introduced into the cl- into your personal collection as well. For for me, it is. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so uh, did you have more to put in on the on your first bonsai? I didn't mean to cut you off there.
1: Oh, well, I was just going to say that when it comes to the beginners too, when, when I'm approaching a beginner that's got their little eye in the bonsai pot, one of the, the ways that I try to approach that is just saying to them, okay, well, you've got that tree. Let's just appreciate that tree for what it is now, okay? Mm-hmm. And then learn to water it, okay? Learn to look after it, keep it in the sun, fertilize it, all that kind of stuff. But why don't we go out now and buy pre-bonsai material, from a nursery, you know, buy something that's a little bit more bigger and developed. It's not in a bonsai pot yet. And let's start from there. And that should be the starting point, you know, and then that way they can learn how to develop a tree because it's so important. I, I think it's it's so bad for the bonsai mind for somebody to buy a mall's eye that's already in a bonsai pot because straight away they've already skipped one of the most important parts in bonsai, which is development. That's yeah. where all the that's where all the character of the tree is born, in development. And by buying a bonsai in a bonsai pot, they've skipped that whole that whole stage of bonsai. And yeah. so did the person who made the tree, because they're just taking a cutting and put it in a a little bonsai pot, and that's what you've got, you know. So having them go out and buy pre bonsai material preferably from a bonsai nursery because it would have had some initial training on the roots um some initial maybe bending of the trunk whatever it may be um and then starting from there and then they can appreciate the development side of things and also the refinement side at a later date
0: Mm -hmm. and it's just you kind of like rob you, you're you're kind of robbing that that bonsai or that malzai itself of its own personal journey because I mean, I mean, there's nothing better than seeing an older specimen that you would know background where it was grown, who grew it, and that's kind of where you start seeing the separation between types of trees and types of qualities of of bonsai because uh, there are people who grow bonsai from literally from seed or from cutting, and they spend their whole life like. Basically just, you know, like like uh, for some people who grow Japanese black pine from seed, you know, they're like, this tree's been in training for 25 years and it's not done yet. And some of those trees are just amazing. And then you see a 50 year old black Japanese black pine that's been in training. And that's when the magic really starts to happen. Um, yep. and, and it's just, I've talked to a couple of other guys about this, like, you know, God, you know, God bless the, the guy who's still planting seeds and still, you know, growing the seed up, putting its first, really its very first piece of wire on it, and just putting that little bend, you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff is so awesome to sit there and think about. Um, and and me personally, I've I've started growing Japanese black pine. I've got um, Mark's using the camera to see what his wiring job's looking like. Uh, I've started <laughs> Japanese black pine and uh, and some kumquat. I don't know if you're familiar with kumquats. Uh, yeah, and they got
1: the fruits on them.
0: Yep, those are yep. awesome, awesome little trees. And now I'm finding my, I'm finding that I'm growing stuff from from seed that I can get my hands on, maybe from, you know, somebody has an old one that they've just had for a while that not necessarily like a bonsai or per, per se, or just maybe some just stock mother plant. And I'm just like, I've always wanted one of those. Tell you what, I'm young. Let's do it now. You know, when I'm... <laughs> But hopefully when I'm 70 or 80, this tree will be, you know, that dream tree. And so like you're saying with your, your first tree, it's like one day it will be that dream tree. Will it ever be? Sorry. He just did that big bend that I had to just look for a second. Uh, Yeah, He just bent on that, uh, that's that's a water oak back there, and they're not very flexible. It could blow that branch right off the crotch, uh, right there, or even from the fulcrum where it comes from the trunk.
1: Hey,
0: it looks a lot better that way, though. By the way, this will be part of this video will be on YouTube as well. So yeah, anything right. that's happening, any ra- interactions that are happening, um, but but anyway, uh, yeah. But just constantly striving for for that perfect bonsai image when it. Like we, I mentioned earlier, it's just, it's always going to change. It's always going to evolve. Um, and I mean, we'll just start talking some more personable stuff with like your your own collection and stuff. Uh, are there any trees that you are currently, for yourself outside of Bonsai Inn, like just growing from seed or from cutting? So you're having that, you know, that image in your mind of developing that tree?
1: Yeah, so a, a lot of my trees that I've got in my personal collection are already you know further down the track in their game but there's i've got a little juniper and a little japanese black pine seedling and both of them um are for the young fella so mm-hmm. when he grows up you know he's currently um he's just turned six. Oh yeah um awesome. so the juniper was started for him uh he was still in nappies at the time so mm-hmm. It's it's coming along really nicely at the moment. Um, obviously still in development stages and that, but it was when I started it for him, it was only, you know, pinky thick, um, mm-hmm. just a tiny little, tiny little juniper. Um, and we've been growing it all these years just in the nursery pot. Um, and, you know, I've always said that, well, when he's 18, it'll get handed over to him. And, you know, he's got ch- two choices. If he wants to, you know, be a bonsai artist or if he wants to you know show some interest in the nursery and maybe take over one day or whatever then he's going to have a really really good start in the bonsai um with these you know close to 18 year old juniper yeah. um and also he's got um got his little um little japanese black pine seedling that i've started in. um or if he doesn't want to Continue on in bonsai or he doesn't want to do bonsai. That's perfectly fine. Then I'll still give him those trees And he can sell them and maybe buy himself a car or um, You know, whatever it may be so, you know at the moment, you know, I'm just developing those trees for him um, Because a lot of my stuffs as I said, it's a lot more advanced a lot further down the track Um, I, I don't really have anything for myself that I'm actually growing from smaller stock or seed or anything like that um at bonsai N, we're just starting now a five-year plan um for nursery stock so we're putting down seeds Mm. um and then Obviously, next year we'll put down more seeds as those ones continue on, and then next year more seeds, and then hopefully we'll have a five-year rotation of seeds being putting down and stock that's ready for sale. Um, so we've only just started that now because obviously, if I'm going to have a, a a good a good bonsai nursery in the future, I'm going to need that that rotation of stock. You know just continually turning over you know especially if it gets more and more popular it's you would know yourself it's the hard thing with bonsai you you, you spend all this time making all these trees and then when within a week people come in they buy the lot of them yeah and then you, and then you're like well now what you know
0: <laughs> now you just start over again and again and uh and that that whole concept of having batches and stuff we are a we are also, we're like a production producing nursery over here, uh, as far as uh, field growing stuff. And that looks really nice, Mark. Um, <laughs> tempted to just look at it. No, uh, you can't even see the top of it. The top of the, the apex looks like trash. He just did such a terrible job. He actually, no, I'm just joking. He He's doing good.
1: You're the one I wanted to chop it off. No,
0: I wanted to cut that tree in half, but. It looks okay. That's all, but yeah. As far as the uh, the nursery goes and stuff like that, we do have grow fields here, and part of the part of the plan is get get a particular species. And uh, my choice has been recently uh, Acer rubrum, which is just our native red maple. Yep. Do you guys have? Yep. Yeah, it's a pretty widespread tree. I like. I just when you start looking into it, I mean, it is such an accessible plant. I mean, it, it's literally like North America is just. Their whole range is north america it's incredible and there's some there's some mutations of that species that have evolved just on location it's still acerubrum but it's just location wise it's just evolved to fit that ideal environment so like for for us in here here in southeast louisiana uh, we have a variant called uh Drumundi, which is literally drunum's swamp maple it's okay. and it's still acerubrum um and it's incredible because it's it can grow in standing water just like a bald cypress um and yeah. so and then there's the ones up in Maine which is going to be way up in the New England states and there's a mountain acer rubrum that just looks completely different you know like rugged just covered in no, you know normally like you know, hail, and wind and sleet and all that good stuff It's covered in scars from just like winter damage and being buried in snow. Such a different dynamic looking tree. And so I, and I, I've just decided that Acer Acerubrum is going to be one of those trees that I'd start a stock of seed every year. And because they're so accessible, I mean, they walk out in your yard and you just see the seed, the saplings just coming up. Someone's going to run it over. If someone's going to run it over with a lawnmower and i'm just like i'm going to go scoop these up and start that whole trial of of so i can literally do uh what i've seen jonas dupuy do is he takes a sapling and then he's got his next year and his next year and in in person he's got the trees lined up and that's yep. kind of a goal there um and that that's part of the development process of it is being to literally show show the audience And teach in that manner. I just think that's very—that's a very powerful uh, method of teaching bonsai. Is literally having that process of each new batch of trees. And like you say, like yeah, you make all these—you make all these trees. And sometimes, yeah, I go out and make a good number of trees, feel really good about them. And then, like you said, next day they sell, and you're like, man, that I, i have to do that. I felt so good about that one. You know, uh, my fiance just showed up. Um, Hey Kate, but, uh, but yeah, just that's, that's, that's the whole part of it is like, you have to have your own personal collection for, uh, I think she might have me, Do you have me a beer. Awesome. Uh, but anyway, we have a local brewery. That's excellent. Um, that she went to earlier, but, uh, as far as your trees and stuff, you said you have a little bit more developed stuff.
1: Um, So I've got a juniper that's probably about 36 or 37 years old now. Um, So And it's only just coming into itself now. Um, So it got potted up. um, It only just got potted up for the first time, not this season, but last season. And then uh, after it was potted up, it was um allowed to just settle into the pot um you know do its thing get healthy whatnot and then this year um I've, I've let it grow all through spring and now that we're coming in the summer i've started doing some actual some more design work on that tree um actually designing it as a bunjin tree a bunjin um, yeah fun yeah yeah so um so I'm really just starting some foliage reduction now, doing some deadwood work on it. Um, so it'll probably be another, I don't know, two or three years before that tree is ready to be shown. Um, you know, just doing some reduction, doing the design work, then letting it fill back out, get healthy again, um, making sure it's well fertilised, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I've just got a lot of... Um, I've got quite a few black pines. Um, I've got some collected material. Uh, first year, this year working with a collected hawthorn.
0: Oh, um, awesome! Uh, do you mind uh, me ask a uh, variety yeah. or uh, species of hawthorn?
1: Uh, um, I'm pretty sure it's just uh, Curtigus, isn't it?
0: It's cr- yeah, it's Cartegus, uh, uh But do you, know the, yeah. do you know the? Do you know this the Pacific uh, like? cultivar or even it's uh it's sub it's classification.
1: no i wouldn't um no idea okay um it was just it was a tree that was collected and i brought it off a good friend of mine um curious
0: keep going I'm, I'm, just, I'm looking up uh Halthorn's in australia see if i can see any anyway keep going yeah
1: um but yeah this year has been my first year working with it um and very quickly learned that it's not a tree that likes to be wired. Um, more of a clip and grow approach to that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. tree now, I think. Uh, guy wires and clip and grow. So it's just been cut back, but it's really interesting. It's a really interesting tree, like a base to start from, because it's, it's got a very big hollow in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, um, it's quite girthy around the trunk. Um, it's got a nice root flare on it so you know just being able to start building the the branch structure on that tree now is going to be exciting for the next couple of years Um, but also it's going to be a big learning curve because as I said it's and you know me personally deciduous trees are not something that I've done a lot of work with Um, you know I don't know if I mentioned it before but we don't keep a lot of maples here just because of our hot winds and stuff they tend to they tend to run a run a train on our maples here. So um, you know, don't I don't keep, at least personally where I am, I don't keep a lot of maples. Um, so for me, it's more more the pines and the junipers and things like that. Um, and Australian natives, I really love our um, native tea trees, um, mm-hmm. Leptospermum, petos- Petersonii. Um, they've got a real lemon smell to them when you when you work on them uh, lemon scented um, they flower really nice white flowers um, so yeah they, they, but I, I think we mentioned it in the last podcast that we did I'm the type of person that really digs into one species at a time and I dig in deep mm-hmm. so my personal collection isn't so I don't have, it's capped at um, 30 trees. And if I buy another tree, then one tree has to go because I'm a big believer of not having a lot of trees because you don't have the time to give every tree the time that it should have, especially when a tree starts getting more advanced and it takes, you know, that juniper that I was talking about that's, you know, around 36, 37 years old it took me three days just to wire the bottom, oh, bottom yeah. half of that tree mm-hmm. so you know you imagine having 100 trees in the collection that need that amount of attention you just can't keep up with it so i limit my collection to about 30 trees and within that collection there's not that many different species of trees um if i can think around my benches as leptospermum so the the australian tea tree mm-hmm. um There's some shimpaku juniper, black pine, um, just like your regular juniper squamata, um, melaleuca, which is another Australian native, um, tried maple. Um, What else is out there on the benches? I'm just trying to think of my benches as they're all lined up and the trees that are on them. Um, Oh, Indian privet, which is... It's not hmm. like the regular privet that we have with the round leaf, but it's got more of a – like Point a canoe-shaped – yeah, like a okay. canoe-shaped leaf or, almost. Um, I've got – in my personal collection, I've got one ficus benjamina, and that's the only ficus I've got. Um, Chinese elm. And then my partner, she has a couple of little trees. She's got um, – She's got a tiger bark ficus um, and then the young bloke, he's also got a tiger bark ficus that (laughs) one of my friends gifted him. Um, And then she's got a bougainvillea, which has really nice uh, flowers on it. Um, Comes up with really nice purple flowers. Oh yeah. Um, And she's got a caprosma also, which absolutely beautiful trees. And it's actually funny, last night we went to my mum's 50th birthday party, and um, walking around and looking at her garden, she had a couple of kaprosmas, and they were a lot more mature, had nice thick trunks on them, and I said to her, I said, you better watch them, I'm going to come and dig them out when you're not looking, and she, she was actually like, no, come and get them, I hate them.
0: Oh, man, I, there you go. And
1: I was, I was like... I was like, perfect. I was like, how can you hate caprosmas? And she's like, oh, they make a mess. And I'm always Mm -hmm. trimming them back. So I'll be going back in autumn time to dig them up and get them out for sure. Because I don't know if you've ever seen a caprosma. Let me look it up. um, Spell it real quick. um, C-O-P. R-O-M. R-O-S-M. Sorry. A. Caprosma. Uh,
0: Okay. So C-O-M. Oh, C-O-P. I'm sorry. C-O-P. Yeah, C-O-P.
1: R-O-M-S-A. No, S-M-A. Sorry. I keep putting the S after the M.
0: S-S-M-A. Okay. Yeah, I see the image here. And there, so it's the flowering plant. Oh, wait. looks like it makes fruit, too. Okay. Um, New Zealand. And so what wines, you get...
1: You usually get like a, a really red leaf on them and they get like a yellow stripe right up the middle of the leaf.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, my partner's got one of them in her collection. Mm. Smelling
0: like dung. So it says here.
1: Yeah, I've never smelled that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that uh, well, that's what the name uh, uh, Prisma caprosma yeah caprosma means smells smelling like dung i'm sorry i had to look that up i don't mean to ruin anything for you that species <laughs> uh, but it looks like a gorgeous species there's a if it if it makes it any better uh, one of my one of my personal favorites uh, native species that grow here in the in the south southeastern states is called uh, the yopon holly and its latin name is ilex vomitoria which literally means yeah. literally means that it was used by Native Americans to for fasting rituals. They make a tea out of it for okay. vomiting. So, <laughs> yep. so uh, and that's that's one of the cooler aspects about learning about the Latin names of some of the trees and learning their effects. Like there's a there's a lot of Native American pre pre uh, pre America, I could you would say uh, when it comes to the naming of our plants around here in the South. Uh, and yeah. so there's there's a plant here called arrowwood. It's literally straight yep. hard tree. Y'all probably have them as well. Uh, they're pretty widespread, and they were just the best quality plant. Just go out there pick pick a branch, and and it would be straight as an arrow. Good good for uh, you know good for just putting the feather on. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so I always thought that was so awesome to know that about different varieties and different species and stuff and uh and i was thinking back about you mentioning the uh the tea trees and so how they're fragrant uh whenever you cut them uh and they have yeah. that that lemon that lemon kind of smell to them that's very special um and i've yeah. always always loved any species that i always say it's like whenever you get to work on the tree it gives you something a little bit more uh like when you cut yeah. on a juniper it smells like christmas uh, mm-hmm. Whenever I work with some, there's some species here that are native. Uh, like they're parsley hawthorn, so we have a hawthorn that's native here. Um, that's why I was asking about which, if you knew which one it was, because our, our hawthorn is way different from y'all's, I'm sure, because uh, it's a swamp hawthorn as well. Uh, but when you cut that one, you cut on the roots of that tree, it smells like peanut butter. So there's just like all these really special things. The boxwood, boxwood's not native. Sweet
1: gum, which he said he has in Australia. Yeah,
0: sweet gums. Uh, they smell awesome too it's just these things about becoming more personable with your own personal trees and learning about what what truly is different and sets those trees apart and uh just like you're saying like you're going to collect those trees from your uh from your mother's yard and you may have looked at those plants a thousand times and not even realized yep. when you were growing up and and now you're like different scope you're like wait a second that's special. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, it's just like the same thing. Like my mom has uh, she has bottle brush trees in her yard that are massive. And, yep. and not until did I realize how beautiful of a species that can be for bonsai. Uh, talking trunks bigger than your waist. And I'm like, Yep. <laughs> I'm like, can I dig those up? And she's like, No. <laughs> so that's that's always And the they point. take a
1: they take a chopping like a champ too.
0: Oh yeah. And she cuts them down every five years or so. Cause she cut she cuts them like two feet tall and then they skyrocket above her house. And she's like, Oh, these damn trees. And they're shading out the house. And there's just uh, cause water settles here very, yep. very frequently. And so it causes all kinds of issues with just like mold and and moss growing on stuff and rot and all that stuff. So she's constantly chopping. I'm just like, Mom, you could you can let me chop that thing down and just dig them out the. Air. I mean, just like four beautiful big trees, but uh, but yeah, that's where it makes it real special. Is you know, you pull an old garden shrub out, you have it for years and years. Uh, and like you said, with your with your family, you're talking like everyone has their own tree, you know, and that that makes it even better. And uh, I would only hope that my my fiance is sitting over here. She doesn't care a lick about bonsai but she's got one ginkgo that she thinks is cool. And that's it. That's the she most totalized.
1: like... I have a
0: fiddle fig. Oh, you have a fiddle fig, but that's, you know. <laughs> uh, it
1: is a ficus. Yeah, well, for, <laughs> well for, the, for the longest time, um, my partner used to come with me on like buying trips and stuff, especially when we'd go and stock up the the, the nursery and whatnot. And we, we'd we always go to one of my suppliers. And she she got in this habit of, Always just buying pots, so we'd go there to we'd go there to get stuff, and she'd um, she'd find these pots that she really liked, and she she'd always just end up with this big collection of pots. And I said, well, you know, one day you're eventually going to have to buy some trees that go in them pots. You can't just keep buying pots and, <laughs> you know, having them sitting around the place, you know. So um, yeah, and then she started buying trees, and then eventually. You know, but I must say the her trees sit out among my trees on the benches, and I water them. I do all the wiring on exactly. them. I do the pruning. I do the fertilization. <laughs> so essentially, they are her trees, and you know, obviously, the young bloke does less on his trees than she does on hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's more he's more into pointing to my trees and saying that they're his.
0: <laughs> of course they are. I mean, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh... And like, that's, that's funny. Cause you mentioned that I'm like my, my current mentor, uh, she, she goes out and buying trips, like you said, and her husband picks out trees and then she waters them and she styles them and makes them real nice. And he's like, yeah, that's, I picked that one out and that's, you know, and that, that still makes them very special though. Like, uh, we did like when we did go to the national show there were vendors there and we did pick out a few trees that caitlin did actually like and we picked them out and i said this is not your tree but at least you had some fun so <laughs> uh but that that makes it that makes it better man that uh always having a personal collection even though we're running-